Welcome back. So my guest today, Andrew Plato, is an entrepreneur who started and ran his own company for over two decades. Andrew is nationally known in the IT security space and is often invited to be a keynote speaker at many industry conferences. But besides just being a business owner, he's also been the chief sales officer for his business. So during the, t- the interview today, we get into skills that separate the top performers. We talk about tactics to more effectively sell products especially security-based products, which are a little bit different at times, maybe than traditional must-have products from an operational perspective. Finally, Andrew gets into some career advice for both people that want to continue to excel in their sales career, as well as those that maybe are considering that entrepreneurial route, doing your own thing, hanging your own shield, starting your own business, essentially. By the way, thank you for all the great feedback and positive ratings on the different podcast tools. If you're newer to the show, make sure you tune back in on Friday for a very short episode where I share one sales tactic, tip, or insight from many of my conversations and interviews with people in our business. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, Andrew, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. How you doing? I'm doing good, Chris. Thanks for having me here today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's nice to have another Oregonian here on the podcast, although I haven't seen you in a long time. Um, it's really nice to catch up. Yeah. Same here. I, I It's been a while, but it is good to see you and it's good to chat. Yeah, you actually might have been one of my... So when I moved, I was in a sales role and I was moving from more of the service provider type sales role. I was selling DWDM equipment at the time um, into security. Uh, I think you were one of the first or second partner meetings that I had had. We came into your office and at the time I was with Juniper Networks. Right. Juniper. And uh you guys were doing a bang up business around IPS technology. And so we were trying to yep. get you to sell more of ours. <laughs> That's right. I was back in the day, I was selling intrusion prevention systems since I kind of started that technology. So uh, I was I was really into it. And uh, yeah, I remember that real well. So. Yeah. Well, the technology has changed a little bit, but uh, <laughs> well, well, so let's just jump right into it. So yeah, as a listener, you can go into the show notes and get Andrew's full bio. He's had a long, success, successful career. But um, Andrew, can you just give us a little bit of background about your uh, your journey and uh, kind of where you've been and where you're at now? Sure. So uh, I started, um, so I got out of college. I went to work for Microsoft. I was a technical writer at Microsoft for by way, way back in the 90s, uh, which was kind of a boring job. But you know, it was, I was a writer and I liked technology. So it seemed to make sense. Um, I inadvertently hacked into a website one day. Um, I actually executed the world's first SQL injection attack. Now, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> um, but I got really interested in security. I left Microsoft. I started uh, my own security company back in 1995. One of the first 
computer security or cybersecurity companies really in the world. And first few years, I did security consulting work, and uh, then I became a product reseller. I sold, you know, Juniper, you know, intrusion prevention and firewalls, and you know that business, and did that for a very long time. Then I pivoted the company into more services and managed services. And then I pivoted again in 2016. So I pivoted the company kind of a few times. I got really good at pivoting a company, by the way. <laughs> um, I pivoted again in 2016 to a product company. I actually designed a uh, uh, an automation product to automate security in the cloud. And I got venture funding. I got uh, initial tranche of 11 million. Then I got a second tranche of 5 million about, about a year later. Uh, so 16 million Series A that I closed. And I ran the business from... Was in essence zero in sales to about almost seven million in ARR, uh, and then I uh, then I exited the company. I, I I handed over to somebody else, and I exited, and I, I completely exited. Well, most I almost exited completely as part of the Series B, and got a nice lucrative payday. And uh, now I get to you know. Uh, hang out on the enterprise. <laughs> yeah. So you're sitting on the beach and drinking Mai Tais and, you know, and um, so, hey, look, I, I I was excited to speak with you today because, you know, you're, you're a business owner or you have been a business owner and you built a business, like you said, from ground up. And, you know, when you're doing that, you cross so many different parts of the business, right? You have experience in sales with marketing, leadership, and, uh, and then at the same time, you you have been recognized as an IT security um, specialist. So you know, as you were growing your company in Eastern back then, you know you had a sales force out there that was selling security solutions. And when you think back, you know because you know a lot of my listeners are, are salespeople. When you think back to some of the most successful reps, some of the most successful accounts that you won, what do you remember that really sets apart some of those top performers? Um, very specifically, they were listeners first. Um, the best salespeople I've ever known were really, really good listeners. They took the time to let the customer do the majority of the talking. And they were really good at asking questions, uh, particularly leading questions, like being able to tease out information from the customer and get them to talk about their problems and their concerns and their worries and their pain. And I often thought of it as like a good salesperson's a little bit like a spy that you're kind of like trying to, you know, get your way into the, you know, here and, and, and get the, you know, get the, the, I guess I don't want to say enemy, but get the other side to tell you their secrets. And there's techniques to do that. There's actually a lot of techniques you can do. And one of them is just that, just listening and paying attention to what people say and, and using the techniques of intelligence gathering to find out everything you can about that customer and then craft your your sales pitch your answers to to what that you know, to the specifics of that customer. And in contrast to that I'd say one of the biggest mistakes I think a lot of salespeople make is they they just jump into the sales pitch way too quickly. They they feel like they've got to like oh let me tell you everything you got to know about my product. It's like whoa 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 hold off, you know. And I think that's particularly true when you're talking to technically savvy buyers. People who know what they want a sales pitch isn't going to work on them. Right. You, you got to build that relationship. You got to get to know them. You got to you got to let them be the center of the conversation so that you can form that real partnership and that real bond with them. So that's I and that's the secret, you know, is listen. Well, I'm curious. So, you know, most of your career had been around that security, the security side of the business and yeah, you know, there's some parts of technology when we're selling it, it's pretty 
kind of clear or I would say easier to maybe tie that hardware or that software to the business in some way. Whereas security, you know, there's not necessarily an income uh, producing side of security, but there's all this downside. You know, how do you go create that attachment to the business or that business value without just always living in that that kind of that FUD, you know, sales approach? Real simple way to do that, which is the first thing is you don't sell the product. In fact, I used to tell my salespeople, don't sell our products because the product isn't what people buy. I, I mean, for most computer technologies, people don't actually buy the product. What they buy is the better future that product and your company is going to bring to them. So my thing with customers was always, what is that better future like? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about where you're going to be in a year from now. Let's talk about how this are, you know, the products I have or the product I sell and the services I have, how they're going to make your life better. They're going to make it easier. They're going to enable you to do things. Um, and the big one, I think, is always, how is this going to enable you to get your job done, to, for the company to fulfill its mission? Anytime you can tie those two together, you just have such a fundamentally stronger sales pitch because it's now you're not selling them on a product. Because remember, Products can be put on, you know, a matrix and compared real easily. And, and you know, selling firewalls, people will go, well, you know, your firewall only does, you know, one megabit. And their firewall does 1.1, you know, 1.0001 megabit. So I'm buying them. And it's like, come on, seriously? Yeah. And that's the problem right there is it's too easy to kind of get into these little wars over nits and bits and little details when that's not really what the customer wants and needs. They want to hear about this great, future you're going to bring to them and how this product is going to enable it. And so I think that's the strategy is just focus on that, that, that brighter future. Yeah, no, that's a really great point. I used to have an SC that I worked with. I won't, I won't name his name, but you know, we would always get in this discussion around, all right, well, what's your throughput on your firewall or what's your throughput on your intrusion prevention system? And, you know, they would talk about us versus somebody else. And maybe they were, let's say a gig. He says, yeah, but that's downhill with the wind at your back. You know, really, <laughs> let's talk about where you're going. And he always did a really nice job about it. It's sort of irrelevant if we don't kind of know what you're trying to get done over the next year, or, you know, new apps and business initiatives, whatever it might be. Right. That's exactly right. It's that it's the bigger, fuller picture. And more importantly, it's that it's that how am I going to make your life better, easier, simpler, you know, whatever, though. So. so, Andrew, I'm curious, as a business owner, how much of your time was spent in the selling role? kind of waving the sales flag for the business, the product initiatives versus the people bit part of the business, the technology side of the business, or just back office stuff. Ooh, I, I actually spent a lot of time on the sales side of the company and primarily because I actually liked it. Um, I loved being an SE. In fact, I was the SE for my company up until I pretty much left the company. Um, and of all the jobs I had, I loved being an SE because you get to meet people. You get to you get to solve problems. You get to you get to figure out what people's problems. It's just there's so many things about being a sales engineer mm -hmm. or a salesman in general. That's it, just it's just a very fulfilling job, mainly because of that. That I love those moments where you know somebody had a problem and I could say I can solve that for you. I've got it. It will do this, this, and this. And the, and they would be like, really? And I'm like, I could, I got this for you, man. And you feel like you're really kind of making a difference you're doing something you're, you're you're making a life easier for somebody and that was very satisfying to me when i could do that so i spent a lot of time on that side of the business 
maybe somewhat to the detriment of those other sides of the business. I probably didn't spend as much time on the people side as I should have, which probably is why some people don't like me. I wasn't sometimes always nice. Uh, and and I, on the technical side, I, I did like that a lot too. And again, I, I think I liked I really loved it when a bunch of us in the company would come together and we'd, we'd kind of all spitball an answer to something. And, and out of that would emerge, you know, how we were going to do something. That was always very satisfying to me. So I tended to, to sort of gravitate to those two sides of the business, particularly a lot of sales engineering work. Yeah. Well, clearly, I mean, with both of those uh, sides of the business, it, you know, you're a problem solver. And so, it, you know, if you, if that's what you like to do, it makes sense that you're, you're trending towards those two areas. Right. You know, so, you know, after building a business and, and running a business for a couple of decades, you've learned a few things, right? And, you know, if you're, if you're talking to your younger self or even, you know, I think some of those, those salespeople that have been, you know, in a corporate structure, yeah, everybody's at, once in a while gets that itch to maybe go out on their own and do it. Uh, maybe go start up their own uh, company, maybe their own integrator. I, I don't know, just their own business. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I guess I'm curious, what advice might you give to your younger self who's looking to make that jump and start something? Wow. Uh, there's a lot of advice I could give. Um, and, and I could take that. I mean, there's some of it would just practical, you know, make sure you have a good lawyer, that kind of stuff, have a good accountant. But there's one particular piece of advice that I, not only did I learn this fairly early on, but I kind of had to keep relearning it. And more importantly, I was always surprised at how quote unquote seasoned executives didn't comprehend this principle. And I, and I was, I remember, I remember talking to somebody who had been a CEO for decades and still didn't get this very simple idea, which is, and it, and it is very much a sales and, and marketing concept. That is never play your competitor's game, make them play your game. Now, let me expound on what I mean by that. When you're starting out, when you're a new company, when you're a small company, you have to be different. You have to be unique. You have to be special in some way. You can't be like the big company because there's no real competitive or advantage to work with you at that point. If you're exactly the same as, you know, the gigantic, you know, Cisco's and Juniper's or whatever, you know, big companies out there, why would a company hire a small business that has limited resources and limited, you know, is limited in every conceivable way when they can just go with a bigger company and price isn't enough to really make that different. So it's, it's got it. You have to be unique and you have to be different and you have to be like, you have to go kind of out of your way to be different and unique. And this is particularly true in marketing. You can't say the same things that everybody says <laughs> because then you're no better than anybody else. Yeah. You're just like everybody else. I like to think of this kind of in terms of odds, like like you're playing, like like you're going to Las Vegas, right? Right. You sit down at a slot machine and you pull the handle. The odds are against you, and there is nothing you can do to change those odds. I mean, unless you break into the machine and you know get arrested, but you can't change the odds. So they're against you, and that's kind of what happens with a lot of small businesses. Is they go into the market and they just pull the lever and they think, why didn't I get you know? three sevens in a row <laughs> because the odds are against you my friend you got to play a completely different game and what that means is you 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 got to go and sit at a table where you can manipulate the odds where you can change those odds where you can 
for lack of a better way to put it, almost cheat. And you can even them up. And the way you do that is by being unique, by offering something that is special and different and not like everybody else. And now your competitors are having to react and respond to you. And that's that's where I tell the I tell this to business, you know, new business people. I'm like, what is unique about you? What's special about you? Why are you something different than everybody else out there? And you need to hammer that point as hard as you can to everybody you talk to so that that becomes the thing that's that defines you. Then you've kind of evened up those odds. And now you're now you're making your competitors react to you versus you reacting to your competitors, because you'll never win that game. If you're if you're just trying to be like your competitor, you're never going to win that game. And I will say another thing about competitors, and I say this to salespeople, which is don't ever talk about your competitors. I had my CEO coach once said to me, he's like, Andrew, are you in the pro Anishan business or the anti competitor business? I won't say who the company he said is. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> and, and it was really good because I was really obsessed with this particular competitor. And he sort of reminded me that when you're in, when you run in a gut business, it's always about that business. It's who cares what the competition's doing. I mean, whatever they're out there, you're here, you're doing what you're doing. So focus on what you've got and make it special and make it unique. Oh man. Great advice. I want to break in with this quick commercial from me. I am very excited to announce that we have our first multifamily real estate deal for the year. This is a really nice boutique 88 unit complex in Tempe, Arizona, which is an incredibly strong submarket of the Phoenix area. And we are partnered with my friend Reed and his company at the RSN Group. They're the, the ones that found the deal. And they also have another asset uh, very close by this particular property. Uh, investment spots on this one, they're going to fill up quickly because it is also structured to accept 1031 exchanges. And there's a number of exchanges out there right now looking for a home. So if you're interested, just contact us through hightechfreedom.com or you could book a call using the link in the show notes. And even if you just want to learn a little bit more about the investing process, let's chat. I'm happy to share and follow up with some educational resources. Now back to the show. Going back to your first point, so would you say that you know in your business were you kind of maybe niching down or sort of finding your niche in a way that set you apart? Yeah, I, that that was kind of why I kept pivoting. So, for example, you knew me when I was a VAR, right? And I did that, you know, value added reseller. I did that for many years. Okay, yeah. Here's the thing: you can't make money being a VAR. It just got to a point where it was impossible. There was no way for me to ever competitively differentiate between the giant resellers and little by little it was just getting harder and harder and harder to sell so i saw that writing on the wall and i'm like i can't do this anymore i've got to do something different so then i pivoted over to managed services and consulting but even within that space i quickly realized there's certain things that just weren't worth it for example we never really did forensics work at a niche and at least not very much of it and the reason being is it's because there were specialists in that, but that's all they did. And they were the best in the business. And, and we were never going to be able to be really specialists in that. So if we did it, it was always sort of a one-off work. It wasn't something we focused on because we were never really going to be able to make money off of it. But even within that, we kind of kept niching down into more specialized things, but finding a unique 
take on each one of those, which is actually ultimately what led me to my pivot in 2016, is that I saw, I actually got hired to do a research project by a really big company. And they said, we want to build the next generation of security operations center. Andrew, tell me how to do it. And so they they paid me basically to do this huge research project and I spent months and I got all this data and I interviewed a million people and it was a great project. And I came to them at the end of it and I said, here's how to do it. You automate, you do all this cool stuff. And they're like, great, Andrew, that's fascinating, but we're not going to do that. We're going this other way. And I'm like, well, okay. I still had all this great research and knowledge from them and I'm looking at it and I'm like, there's a huge opportunity here and they can't see it and I can't. And that's where it occurred to me that there's a niche here. There's a, there's a unique dimension of this industry that nobody is tapping. The people who've tried haven't done particularly well at it. And because I had been a VAR and because I had been a consultant and because I had done all these things, I kind of knew how to bring it all together. And uh, that, that was the genesis of the product I, I built is I just sort of pulled all these things together and I had a platform. I love that. You know, it's, um, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's one of the things that I've noticed over the years whether you're uh, just a sales rep, whether you're the marketing team putting a message out there, the hardest thing sometimes for a company or even a rep to deal with is just getting known, right? Getting seen. Because if you sound like everybody else, you're just this tiny little minnow in this giant ocean and nobody's going to see you. And so you know, how do you shrink the ocean down to where you can be a bigger fish in, a, in the pond? Maybe the only fish in that pond. You know, and then you can just gobble up everything because you've kind of created your uniqueness um, in a way that that's resonating. You've got to sound and look different. I mean, there's no two ways around it. You just have to, you can't just say that. I mean, I think one of the things that probably bothered a lot of people about about me was that I was pretty unpredictable. I would kind of like go off on wild tangents and they'd be like, where the hell is Andrew going now? It wasn't wild tangent. Many times it was a very calculated risk at making myself be seen because I didn't have a huge marketing team. My marketing team was sometimes one person. Sometimes it was just me. And I didn't have a big budget. I didn't have a lot going for me. So I had to get seen. And in order to do that, I had to be creative. I had to kind of go off and do things that people are like, what the hell? Why are you doing this? You know, I, I mean... When I went out to market with my product, I mean, I went into, you know, AWS reInvent and I splashed, you know, compliance at ludicrous speed all over everything that possibly was because everybody who read it kind of chuckled and went, oh, that's pretty funny. Ah, yeah, space balls. But they remembered it and they came to the booth and nobody else was saying anything like that. Um, it was a unique phrase in the industry at that point, but it wasn't a particularly but it was a phrase that people understood. So that's what you got to do. You got to really sit down and think about a way that you can, you can say, and, and you also have to understand that when you go out into the world with a new idea or a creative you know, way of doing something, there is going to be a lot of people who tell you you're stupid. You don't know what you're doing. You're clueless. They're going to laugh at you because it's easy to laugh at the weirdo who's going off and doing his own thing. But you can't ignore the weirdo going off and doing his own thing. That person will tend to stick out. So you got to be able to kind of handle that fact that when you first kind of say something different or re or behave differently or, or kind of treat something differently, some people are not going to quite know how to deal with that. And they're going to be like, what's this all about? But that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing because if people are going, what is this all about? 
they're wanting to know about you now. Now they're coming to you. And that's exactly what happened at our booth at AWS at reInvent is that people would come to the booth and go, what the hell is compliance at ludicrous speed? And I'm like, hee hee hee, let me tell you. And even though they might not have gotten it or thought it was stupid, and a lot of people thought it was stupid, they were still wondering what it meant. And they came and asked us about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. I um I totally buy into that concept. And you know, and and if anybody's been listening to my podcast for any period of time, you know, they know that I'm into real estate and that's one of the things I struggle with early on when we were starting to do bigger deals and bringing some investors on is like, hey, people that do real estate deals, they're a dime a dozen. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people out there, but I ended up kind of pivoting to create high-tech freedom or high-tech freedom capital and really just focusing on me, the people that are just like me, high-tech sales professionals that are making a bunch of commission. Maybe we make more money, we start to spend more money, and then maybe we haven't quite saved the way we wanted to. You know, And I've been fortunate enough to figure that out from a real estate perspective early on. I mean, I really niched down into that high-tech sales professional. And yeah, you know, maybe they're not quite ready for real estate, but you know, maybe they think of me next time they think about real estate. And otherwise, you know, another way of saying it is it was much easier for me to get seen by that market than it was for me just to go out and say i'm a real estate i i do real estate deals and you know me and like just a hundred people right here in my local backyard so right yeah anything you can do to differentiate yourself and and in today's world there's so much noise out there it's it's difficult to differentiate yourself you know social media and what have you it's to some extent sometimes you've got to really be out there you gotta do something really wild and weird and uh just to get noticed and if you do that in the kind of that creative way and you figure out how to kind of niche down, again, you, you'll, you'll start attracting people toward you. And that's, that's ultimately what you want to do. When you're a small company, you need to attract people toward you and make them want to know more about you. And you can't do that if you're just, again, if you're just like everybody else, if you're just doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. Yeah. Now, if you're a, if you're a field sales rep, you're working for a company there's lessons to be taken from what what Andrew just said, right? I mean, you may not have your own company, but there's things that you can be doing in the field to change how you approach your customers, to change how you reach out to them, to change how you respond to them, to change how you put your deal together and you know your overall sales process. You know, again, it's like you and 14 other salespeople are all banging on the same person. How can you change your approach to stand out? Um, and that's you know for each each their own. You need to go figure that out. But I think there's some great lessons there. Hey, Andrew, as we get close to wrapping this up here, you know, one of the themes of the podcast, we talk a lot about freedom. What, is, uh, what does freedom mean to you? That's a great question, first off. Let me just say, I, I, I love that question um, because it's, it's big and there's a lot of ways you can go with that. So let me start with the, the simple answer and then I'll kind of expound upon it a little bit. I believe freedom is the ability to express your dreams, to have a dream, to have a vision, to have a great idea, and then be able to bring it to reality. For me, that is freedom. Um, and if you can't do that, then that's really the, 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 you know, the inverse, the, the oppression. But let me expound upon that a little more because I'm going to tell a story uh, to explain that. For the longest time at, 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 an, at my office, and I actually still have it around here somewhere, I had a postcard on my desk. It was a picture of Patrick McGowan from the uh, classic 60s sci-fi show, The Prisoner. And on it, it says, I am not a number. I am a free man. 
Um, and this postcard was first off. I love the show. I'm I'm a sci-fi geek, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my background, right? Um, I love the show for a couple of different reasons. First off, the whole show is about an individual's interaction with the institution, with the the, the society in which you were. And it's very, it's absurd. It's weird. It's very irreverent. It's very, it's philosophical. It's kind of one of those TV shows that like you watch it and you're like, what the hell, you know, what did that mean? It's weird. It's a weird show. And the whole premise is about the notion of how an individual you know, what is freedom for this? I mean, he's, this guy's a prisoner. He's been taken prisoner by his government because he was a spy who knew things and they want to find out what he knows and he doesn't want to say it. He's like, I don't have to. The other reason I really like this show is because it is the singular vision of Patrick McGowan, who is a wonderful actor. He was Longshanks in, uh, in Braveheart, for example, if you remember that movie. Oh, yeah. He's a wonderful actor, brilliant actor. And He's, uh, but that show was all his vision, like all the way he took his, he had a very clear idea of what he wanted to do and he went all the way with it. And I mean, if you, and if you've ever watched the show and any of your listeners have, you know how very weird the show is. It's, it's, it's really, there's not quite anything like it out there. That to me is what freedom really is, is that ability to free yourself of the institutions around you, whether that be an employer, whether that be governments, whether that be whatever that's kind of holding you back and express your ideas and make them come to life. As a business owner, I mean, I've done that. I've been able to express my ideas and my vision, and that is a wonderful and rewarding experience to be able to do that. But it requires pushing back and pushing away from those institutions. You have to be willing to kind of venture out away from them. And what I mean by that is venturing away from a nice, safe job, mm -hmm. venturing away from the, pay, the the paycheck every week, venturing away from benefits. And some of us are not capable of doing that. We have families, we have commitments, we're not able to do it. And that's, that's you know, that's understandable. But to really free yourself, you, you, you need to kind of break out of those, those prisons that are created around us and be able to express yourself. And I don't know, maybe I'm being a little heady and a little, you know, goobery and I don't know, sci-fi about this, but to me, that's what freedom is, is that, that I have an idea and I'm going to run with it and I'm going to bring it to life. And once I do, wow, that feels good. I mean, it just feels so good. And it's a feeling that it's a feeling that uh, really nothing else is like. So, yeah. Well, and that kind of, I guess, explains a lot of what you've been doing for the last uh, couple of decades. Yeah. Well, so, Andrew, what's next for you? Good question. Uh, I've actually been petering around about a bunch of things. I'm actually writing a book right now. Uh, it's called the Founders Users Manual. So I was a tech writer. I wrote a lot of users manuals. So I know how to write a user's manual. Um, about a year or so ago, another CEO buddy and I were sitting down, we're chatting about stuff. And he said, you know, you've kind of amassed a heck of a lot of just shortcuts to running a business. Um, and I mean, I have so many stories from running a business. I mean, that's they're miles long. And some of the stories are just bonkers. I mean, crazy things that happen. Employees who did the craziest things. And I'm like, well, I guess we're going to need a policy for that. I always like to point out the, the person who showed up to a meeting in a bathing suit. And I'm like, what made you think that was acceptable? You know, in any event, uh, he noted that I had all these stories. I'm like, wait a minute, I should just write these into a book. I should just write down all these kind of shortcuts and things I figured out. 
So I've been working on that for the past year, and I'm looking to get that published uh, early next year sometime. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm kind of in the final editing stages of that. I've been looking at I've been up for a couple of CEO jobs in the tech industry, but honestly, I've turned them down, namely because um, I, I'm a little burnt out on tech right now. You know, the the 27 years I did in Nishin was was intense, and uh, I was happy really to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been working on something completely different for the last uh, month or so. I got a couple of partners. It's totally in a different area. It's much more creative. And I won't say much about it other than it's about movies and TV, oh, uh, which wow. is something okay. I'm obviously pretty passionate about. I love movies. I love TV. I love sci-fi stuff. So I've banded together with a bunch of other geeks and uh we're gonna we're, we've got a we've got a pretty fun idea and we're gonna run with it so yeah yeah well it sounds like it well hey when your book's out definitely let me know if you want to come back on and and share some insights about that love to love to have you back sure um andrew if somebody would like to reach out to you and get in get in touch what's the best way to connect up so i still have uh my company so i'm still running uh my company zenacity which is actually a spinoff from a nation uh and i would say just email me andrew.plato at zenacity.com it's z-e-n-a-c-i-t-i um i'm on linkedin so you type in i mean there's there's not a lot of andrew platos in the world so i'm a pretty easy guy to find there's actually another andrew plato on the east coast he's like 20 years old and he plays soccer but I'm obviously not 20 and I do not play soccer. So it should be pretty easy to find me. <laughs> we'll put that link in the show notes to make it easy. Sure. So I'd say send me an email. I'm always, always looking to chat, babble about stuff. All right. Well, really nice catching up with you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me on today. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. You're welcome. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.